Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes of your time. 90 minutes will give me the opportunity to have our broadcast partners come to this broadcast table and give you reports on current events happening around the world that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Ken Timmerman up first. He's standing by back home safely from the nation of Georgia, right there in the early part of Asia as we go around the map on the border with Russia. We'll get to Ken in just a moment. I want to tell you that Steve Herzig, who's the National Director of Friends of Israel, will come along and we'll talk about Passover and its connection to Resurrection Sunday. Jews and Christians from all over the world gathering in Jerusalem for these events to unfold and to be able to be remembered by the faithful. And then we're going to have Mike Gendron. He's going to help us. He's been there to Notre Dame in Paris. And a tragic fire, historic destruction taking place. We're going to talk about that with Mike Gendron. All the other broadcast partners joining us very quickly. But Ken, glad you're back home safe. We appreciate the opportunity to talk to you there in Georgia. And uh, a good opportunity now for us to talk about some current events unfolding in this part of the world. Let me begin with the fact that Iran's president, Rouhani, has called for the righteous Muslims in the Islamic nations to rise up and destroy Zionism. I mean, Iran never quits saying they want to wipe out the Jewish state, do they? No, they don't. And uh, this is what they feel is their justification as a regime. Remember, the current regime in Iran is an Islamic state. They are a self-proclaimed Islamic state. They are not the Republic of Iran. They are the Islamic Republic, and, and Islam comes first. When Khomeini returned to Iran in 1979 from exile, he was asked what he thought touching Islam soil, and he famously said, Hitchi, which means nothing. Uh, they do not care about Iran, the nation, Iran, uh, Iranians, the people. They care about Islam. And this is, again, Rouhani, really, uh, people call him a moderate. There's nothing moderate. He is just one of the Islamist elite running this country and seeking to expand Islam throughout the region. And, of course, the first country uh, at whose expense this would be done would be Israel. Let me talk about Libya. I understand that on Friday, I think it was Friday it was reported, uh, that the president, Donald Trump, had a conversation with uh, the leader of the rebellious group that's trying to attack uh, Tripoli, Libya, take over this United Nations-recognized leadership there. They're talking about, and in fact, uh, that prime minister there in Libya appointed just recently, saying this is going to cause about 800,000 migrants to head towards Europe. This thing is heating up over there, is it not? Well, absolutely, and uh, there's now a pitched battle for the capital, Tripoli, between the U.N.-backed Prime Minister, Saraj, and uh, General Haftar, who's come from Benghazi. Uh, Haftar, who was a Russian-trained general, working pretty closely with the Egyptians. He has a good relationship with the Egyptians. And for the most part, and I say for the most part, he has tamed the Islamist groups in Benghazi. Now, there have been reports that some of those Islamists are part of his forces, but he has come out very publicly. He's battled them publicly uh, in Benghazi so far. So now they are in a battle over the capital, Tripoli, and so you have this U.N.-backed 
prime minister who's basically trying to get the Europeans to swing their support behind him and not Haftar by threatening them with his mass wave of uh, migrants that would come out as a result of the battle. Well, this is a tribal nation, and Haftar seems to be able to try to bring under control, like Gaddafi did, these tribes. And is he wanting to be the leader of Libya? Is that what this ultimate goal is? Absolutely. And thank goodness uh, President Trump finally has spoken to him. You know, the State Department uh, under Hillary Clinton uh, destroyed Libya, completely smashed Libya, tore it apart, and allowed al-Qaeda and other Islamist groups to to take over. And they have been the ones, the State Department so-called professional or career diplomats, have been urging the president not to talk to Haftar. Well, finally, he's talked to Haftar. I think that's a very positive step. And uh, I'm sure uh, it's also going to be seen as an encouragement to Haftar to continue the battle against uh, Tripoli. Let's change our focus over to southern Lebanon. Hamas, out of the Gaza Strip, has made a connection with Hezbollah, Iranian-backed terrorist organization there in southern Lebanon. They're setting up a new march of return. Now, that's been taking place for the last year there on the Gaza border. But now it looks like Hamas and Hezbollah are partnering. This is not good for the state of Israel. No, it's not. And uh, it's, nor is it very good for Lebanon. This really is reminiscent of what happened in the early 1970s when the Palestinians set up a state within the state in Lebanon, basically triggered a civil war that lasted, you know, forever. It, it lasted from the early 70s until 1982 when Israel came in and evicted the Palestinians. But the civil war continued after that. So what I think is uh, we need to watch is how the Lebanese government responds to this rearming of Palestinians who are currently in refugee camps in Lebanon. That is supposed to have been off-limits since 1982, and it's crossing a real red line here. And the fact that it's being pushed by Hezbollah with backing, or some have said even at the instigation of Iran, is very serious indeed. And it, and it goes along with what we've been talking about for, for many, many months, which is this threat to Israel from the south from Gaza, from the north from Lebanon, and also from the east in Syria. That is the Iranian strategy to bracket Israel from three directions. Speaking of the Palestinians, they are trying to bypass the Trump peace plan. They're hearing that, in fact, uh, the Trump plan is going to have no Palestinian state included in that agreement. So the Palestinians going to Moscow meeting with Vladimir Putin. Can you help us out here? How's that going to work out? Well, uh, you know, Putin is is very eager to uh, increase his stature in the Middle East, to become the kingmaker. We've seen that in Syria already. And for him to become the kingmaker in some Israeli-Palestinian peace agreement, whether brokered by the U.S. Uh, or not, I think is clearly his goal. So he would like to reduce the role of the U.S. and step in himself. And the Palestinians understand that. They're not dumb. Uh, they, may be, they may continually make political mistakes. Uh, but they're not dumb, and they understand that Putin wants to have a bigger role, so they're going to Moscow to encourage him and say, hey, we want you here, we don't want the United States. You know, I heard something, read something this week, Ken, about Syria for the first time criticizing Moscow. They're alleging that uh, Russia and Vladimir Putin in coalition with Israel, and they don't like that. I mean, Russia is walking a very thin line between Israel and Syria and Iran, etc. This is going to be very interesting to watch, isn't it? 
yes, Russia is walking that fine line. And, and as I've said a couple of times, it, Putin blows hot one day and cold the next on Israel. And yet the Israelis continue to go back to Moscow to uh, try to work with Putin because they know they cannot freely attack the Iranian military positions in Syria unless the Russians acquiesce, unless the Russians stand down their S-400 air defense batteries. Now, what happened this past week is very interesting. You mentioned the Syrian military criticizing Russia. That's because Israel managed to attack one of the main uh, missile manufacturing facilities run by the Syrians, not the Iranians, inside Syria. And when the Syrians thought they had it protected under the S-300s, but uh, uh, guess what? Those missiles had not yet been declared operational. And they didn't, when the Israelis attacked last week, not a single S-300 was launched against them. So now you have the Syrians blaming Russia and say, oh, wow, you're cooperating with Israel and helping them to destroy our military facilities. This is the first, I think, in the Syrian civil war. It's very interesting how all these players that we find in Bible prophecy may be at each other's throats often, but they'll ultimately come together. We read the last chapter and go against the Jewish state of Israel. Well, we can't have a conversation without bringing up Tayyip Erdogan, who is the president of Turkey. His party, his political party, actually lost two major cities in Turkey recently in somewhat local elections. That would have been Ankara, which is the capital and the largest city in Turkey, Istanbul. Now, Tayyip Erdogan's party is calling for a new election there in Istanbul. Uh, well, right. And, uh, you know, this will be a test of Turkey's democracy, uh, such as it still is, such as it remains. Erdogan is claiming there were voting irregularities, uh, and he's been pushing for a uh, But, you know, the, the opposition party still uh, has something like a 14,000-vote lead over the AKP, which is Erdogan's party. So if, the, if Erdogan wins because he is president and orders this recount, I think it bodes very badly for Turkish democracy. Well, not only for Turkish democracy, but is it a blow to Tayyip Erdogan's desires to be the pan-Islamic leader and revitalize the Ottoman Empire? Well, I think that's what clearly he's trying to do. And should he succeed in, in getting a re-election, a new election that puts his party in top, obviously that will strengthen him inside Turkey. He has no interest in Turkish democracy. So he is not worried that uh, his actions could decrease the legitimacy of the Turkish democracy. He only cares, as you say, uh, about reestablishing the Islamic caliphate and having Turkey at the head of it. Yeah, that's his ultimate goal. And it's a part of the action talked about in the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. That's why we report on these issues. A rapid-fire question-and-answer time with Ken Timmerman today. But uh, we want you to understand the entire world and what's happening, the geopolitical activities, at least, and what is going on. Ken, thank you so much. Great report, buddy. We'll talk again real soon. Always my pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. Ken Timmerman giving us geopolitical events happening around the world, setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Well, David Dolan is standing by. He's got a Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, this is a part of that 90 minutes I need to give you current events reports from around the world, broadcast partners here at the broadcast table. And we get this information out to you so that you can better understand how all of the world is getting prepared for what Bible prophecy calls for, the activities in the future. I want to remind you that on this Resurrection Sunday, I'll be at the Old Swanee Baptist Church there in Buford, Georgia. Tim Campbell, who is the pastor, has invited me. This is the second time in a couple of years he's had me come on Easter, and I'm thrilled that I'm going to be able to be there. But we'll not only be there on Sunday, we'll be there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings. On Sunday morning, 10 a.m., 11 a.m. for the main service, and then at 4 in the afternoon, we'll have a prophecy Q&A, and at 5, the evening service, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 7 p.m. with prophecy Q&A an hour before each of those services as well. Come join us. Love to have you. Old Swanee Baptist Church, Buford, Georgia, will be studying Bible prophecy, and we'll begin on Sunday morning with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's key to understanding the prophetic truth of God's Word in the future. Now, let's go and talk with David Dolan. want to talk with David about uh, the situation in Israel at this special time when Passover and Resurrection Sunday take place at the same time. David, you and I have been there for many, many years. We're not there in the country today, but in fact, we have seen what happens. I mean, pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims and Christian pilgrims from all across the world get there. Security is very high on this time of the year, isn't it? 
Well, it is, Jimmy, and it's uh, not every year because of the uh, lunar calendar that the Jews uh, go by. It's not every year that Resurrection Sunday, as you said, Easter weekend, coincides with the beginning of Passover. That only happens every few years, although the two feasts are obviously tied together from history, because, of course, the Last Supper was a Passover meal that Yeshua, Jesus, had with his disciples in Jerusalem, and crucifixion right at uh, Passover time. So to have Passover begin on the evening of Good Friday and then go into today, the Sabbath, right before the Holy Day of Sunday for the Christian world is a rare occurrence. So, of course, uh, a lot more tourists and pilgrims are in the area than normal because of the many Jewish people that come for Passover to Israel from all over the world and the Israelis themselves. And then, of course, Hundreds of thousands of Christians also from around the world come to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Holy Week, Easter in uh, the Holy Land. So it's uh, very, very crowded. Security is very, very high and very tight. It always is on the holidays, but the city's full and people are rejoicing at the, the good news that uh, there is a Passover lamb. And we, of course, who are Christians believe that's Yeshua, but uh, the Jews don't quite see it for the most part that way. But Nevertheless, they're celebrating God's deliverance of the Jewish people in ancient times. And, of course, Yeshua is the deliverance forever, for all time, for everyone. So uh, a great weekend indeed. Yes, it is. And I read someplace, David, that at the time of the crucifixion, almost 2,000 years ago, uh, that the size of the city of Jerusalem not only doubled, but about five times the original population on this special time, especially, in fact, that uh, the uh, Passover is one of those three pilgrim days, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles, when the Jews are required, according to the Bible, to go into Jerusalem. Well, it's going to be a great time, and may we wish each and every one of you a great Resurrection Sunday in light of the fact that we honor him and his resurrection on this particular day. David, let me talk to you about some political things now. Looks like President Rivlin did decide to appoint Prime Minister Netanyahu to form the new government. Now the battle really, really begins, doesn't it? Well, it does, Jimmy. And yes, on Wednesday, President Rivlin contacted Prime Minister Netanyahu formally and uh, did give him the invitation to form the next government. That, after consulting with all the different parties that won seats in the Knesset in uh, last week's election, 65 of the 120-member Knesset recommended Netanyahu. So that's the majority. So he was asked to form it. 55 did not support that. But, Jimmy, his main problem is uh, two parties, three parties, really, and that is Avigdor Lieberman's Israel Beitano, Israel is our home party, mostly Russian-speaking Jews that support that party. Lieberman, of course, formerly foreign minister, formerly defense minister, a longtime partner with Netanyahu, but also a rival. And uh, that rivalry has gotten stronger in recent uh, years. And, of course, the reason we had early elections, uh, they were supposed to take place only this coming November, the reason they were brought forward was that the previous government collapsed over the issue of drafting Orthodox religious men, Jews, into the army. 
And uh, the two religious parties that picked up 15 seats between them, in the end, Jimmy, it was announced that to one of them had gained one more seat that we thought went to the Likud. It didn't. So in the end, the Likud and the Blue and White Party were evenly matched, uh, the same number of seats, and the Orthodox group picked up one. So 15 seats, they do not want to see that happen. They don't want to see uh, the drafting of, of Jewish Orthodox men into the army. Very strongly opposed to that. Whereas Lieberman and his mostly secular Russian base, non-Orthodox Jews, are pushing hard for that to happen. And Lieberman's already said that this would be a deal-busting decision, whether they would go forward with drafting uh, Orthodox men or not. So we can easily see a scenario where the new government will last just days or weeks before it falls apart. And if it does, we'll go to another round of elections. That's how it works in parliamentary democracies. You can have an election and two months later another one. So that is a real possibility here, Jimmy. But Netanyahu has vowed that he'll do everything he can to satisfy the demands of his various coalition partners and uh, try to make things work. But it's going to be an interesting tussle over the next few weeks, uh, particularly between uh, Israel Beitenu party and these two Orthodox parties to see what, uh, who prevails and how Netanyahu handles that. Another test of uh, where his new government will go and what it will look like, uh, whether he'll have a new government. But, Jimmy, new elections would probably produce the exact same results, and that's what everybody's saying, that why do that, just to, you know, try to get this sorted out. And therefore, Rivlin is saying maybe the best solution is a new national unity government, like we've had several times before, where Benny Gantz's Blue and White joins with the Likud, and the two big parties together have 70 seats in the Knesset, a good majority, solid majority. They wouldn't need anybody else any other parties to join them. But, of course, Gantz and Netanyahu are not exactly uh, buddies. So that's uh, unlikely, but it's a possibility if he can't get these two blocks inside of his right-wing coalition to work together. You know, it looks like Netanyahu not only has that problem, and I said that's when the fun begins. That is really what's going to be exciting to watch in these next couple of days and weeks. But uh, there is information that the deal of the century, supposedly being able to be made by President Trump, the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, is not going to allow for a Palestinian state. Boy, that's going to throw uh, some kind of a wrench into the spokes of the, uh, the bicycle trying to go forward. Well, it surely does, Jimmy. We already heard from the new Palestinian Authority Prime Minister, Mohammed Staye, this week that if this is indeed the case, and uh, we heard from the White House that the peace plan will be revealed only in early June, after the Muslim fasting month of Ramadan ends, that begins here in a couple weeks, only then will it be revealed. He said it's already a dead on arrival. He said there's no way this plan will even be considered by the Palestinians unless it guarantees that they get statehood. And, Jimmy, we are getting some more leaks of what this plan may contain, and it looks like the idea is to give the Palestinians a state, but only in the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip would be made an official Palestinian state, and there are no Israelis there, of course, having pulled out in 2005, so there's no Israeli communities that would need to be torn down, and the Palestinians would have their 
state. But of course, they don't want it just in the Gaza Strip. They want Judea and Samaria. They want Jerusalem to be their capital. Uh, They want Israeli settlements to be evacuated in Judea and Samaria. That's not going to happen, as Netanyahu has already made clear. And it seems like that is the approach the White House is taking, or the administration is taking, to just make this mini Palestinian state. Uh, They're not going to accept it, Jimmy, and it's just not going to happen. We'll stay on top of the story, however, with David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, longtime journalist in that region of the world. David, thank you for this report. So important for us to understand what's happening there. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Steve Herzig, National Director of Friends of Israel, will step to this microphone here at the broadcast table for explaining Passover from a Jewish perspective. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Hi everybody, welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're going to leave right after we finish the broadcast headed over to Buford, Georgia. We'll be at the Old Swanee Baptist Church. We were there two years ago, also on Easter. I think Pastor Tim Campbell is interested in having somebody else take his largest crowd for the entire year at the church, and that would be Easter Sunday. But I'm so grateful to Pastor Tim and allowing me to teach on the subject of the resurrection of Christ. We're going back to the book of Jonah. So if you're in the area, you want to understand how I can go back to Jonah to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come along, Old Swanee Baptist Church in Buford, Georgia, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school, 11 a.m. on the Easter service message that I'm going to give, 5 p.m. that evening, and then 7 p.m. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, going to have a prophecy conference slash Bible conference slash revival. We hope it will break out into revival. Old Swanee Baptist Church, Buford, Georgia, come along and study the prophetic word of God with us. Well, we're now going through electronic genius out someplace in the United States where we're going to catch up with the National Director of Friends of Israel, Steve Herzig, He's on his way into Canada. He pulled off the side of the road so we could have our conversation. Steve, you're going to Canada to do a Passover Seder, or what type of ministry up there? Well, Jimmy, a little like you, I'll be doing a conference, Prophetic, as well as celebrating the resurrection over the weekend, so I look forward to my time up there. 
Well, that's going to be a great opportunity. We'll be praying for you as you go into thy area. We're going to think about Passover today because it's one of those Jewish holy days, and when it does happen, we contact Steve Herzig to talk with us about it. But let me start this conversation this time with the question, why did God actually give seven Jewish feasts to the Jewish people? What was his reason for doing that? And the first one, of course, was Passover. Well, Jimmy, as our listeners might look eventually in the book of Leviticus, I call it the part of their Bible where the pages are still stuck together. Mm -hmm. But if they look in Leviticus 23, they'll see seven feasts, as you just said. And as they read through them, and as they go forward in the Scriptures, those feasts tell a story, a narrative. And it begins, of course, with redemption. It will end with tabernacles. And certainly we can see the plan of God for his people through those seven feasts. We start off with the Passover. Many Jewish people believe that the Passover lasts eight days, which it really doesn't. It is one day, and then there is the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, which follows immediately after. And on that eighth day, of course, is first fruits. And Jimmy, for us as Christians, we see redemption, which is when God took the Jewish people out of Egypt and justified them and set them into what would be the promised land, and sanctified us by setting us apart. And so you can see the matzah, which is unleavened, so they eat that for uh, the whole period of time. And then first fruits is what uh, the Jewish people were to offer to God, the first of agriculture. And we as Christians can see, man, we can see the Lord Jesus redeeming us, We can see the fact that when he did, we're separated, sanctified, set apart by God. And then on first fruits, we know the Apostle Paul wrote that uh, Christ was our first fruits, and so we know that Christ rose from the dead, and then that means there's more to follow. That means you and I and all the listeners who trusted Christ as Savior. So what a picture. Then you go down to the, the summer feast, which is Shavuot, the birthday of the Church, and then it takes you to the fall feast where you can see... God's ending program with his people. That's a great layout of the seven Jewish feasts as found there in Leviticus chapter 23. But as you gave us that description of the seven Jewish feasts, the first two feasts, Passover and Unleavened Bread, took place prior to the Jewish people going into the Promised Land. They then started the whole cycle of seven Jewish feasts. Why Passover and Unleavened Bread? Was that connected with the Egyptian bondage and the escape or the exodus from that bondage? Well, Jimmy, the Jewish people were in bondage for 430 years, and God raised up a a man, Moses, who was himself raised as an Egyptian most of his life, and then he had a midlife crisis at 40 years old and identified with his people. Then God took him into the wilderness, and as an 80-year-old man, God's reputation and name was on the line, and Moses was the man he selected. And Moses went before Pharaoh, and those ten plagues, Jimmy, were really a test, really for the most powerful nation in the world, their people to see, and of course the people that were enslaved and really had the world system uh, so much a part of their life. And so each of those ten plagues, those plagues signified a attack, as it were, uh, where God was able to defeat each one of them. A great story, 
and one that uh, when we think of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which follows, as I said, it's a, it's a way of, of demonstrating that God took them out of uh, Egypt, that worldly system, and ultimately planted them into the Promised Land. Today, Jewish people around the world, and almost every Jew, whether secular or very religious, will have a time, something representing Passover. What do they do today? How do they remember that exodus? Well, Jimmy, as you know, years ago you used to live in Israel. Passover is the spring break uh, for us in the United States. Uh, I think in our country many times we call it even Easter. I think some do anyway. Uh, but in, in Israel, they call it the Passover break or spring break. And everybody celebrates it, regardless of how much of the Seder, which is the, the formal dinner that is a remembrance of what God did, where we tell the story, the biblical story of, of the Jewish people departing from the land, how God raised Moses up, uh, the whole story. Jimmy, for me growing up, it was a five-hour deal. Uh, <laughs> it lasted way near midnight, mm-hmm. and very, very significant and important. Redemption, redemption. And yet at the same time, Jimmy, there is a theme, and I think you'll be touching on it in your conference. That theme is next year in Jerusalem because they were hoping and looking for Messiah. Even in the Passover, there is this idea of the Messiah. There's a place setting for Elijah to come and announce the Messiah. There's a hope and an expectancy that maybe he'll come at this time. And Jimmy, as a believer myself, I know that when I, when I celebrate Passover with my family or if I'm thinking about it or preaching about it, that is the correlation that's so important, the hope and the, and the desire for the Messiah. Uh, and, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ celebrated Passover with his disciples. He drank of the uh, cup with them, that third cup being the cup of redemption. There's such a strong correlation between redemption of Passover and the looking forward of the one who would ultimately redeem them and be the Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus. I know that you're involved in endeavoring to evangelize every Jew to bring them to Jesus Christ as the true Messiah. How can we use the information you've just given us and the holiday, the holy day of Passover, to do that to our Jewish friends? The first step, Jimmy, is to simply acknowledge that you're aware there's Passover. That's that's so significant by wishing your friend a, a happy Passover. And I meet people all the time, and I know for you too, Jimmy, to be invited to a Passover Seder. What an honor. And if a person has an opportunity to just come and observe and be part of a celebration, it, it makes a great talking point and great opportunity, as, as most Jewish people are just as inquisitive about what Christians do Uh, as some Christians are about what Jewish people do. So certainly being aware of the time, and you're making that possible through your radio program, Prophecy Today, and so I just think there's nothing better than to simply acknowledge and be grateful and, and tell them how thankful you are and wish them a happy Passover. Yes, the way to do that is simply saying Chak Sameach. That means have a blessed high holy day. Well, Steve, drive safely as you head up into Canada. May you have some great meetings. And the next holy day that comes around, we're going to have you on the radio with us again. Thank you so much, good buddy. Always good to be with you, Jimmy. Thanks.
Very important information from Steve Herzig, who is the National Director for Friends of Israel, comparing Passover, the Jewish High Holy Day, with Resurrection Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was actually crucified on Passover. Very interesting connection, great information from Steve, and it'll assist us in using this holy day of the Jewish people to ultimately communicate Jesus Christ as the true Messiah. But remember, do that with love. Well, we're going now to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Why Tulsa? Well, our good buddy and broadcast partner John Rood is with his family in Tulsa, a new grandbaby coming out of Europe has just arrived. The family's going to get together and rejoice over that. John, congratulations. Thank you so very much. A boy or girl? Boy. Boy. Okay. Well, that'll continue the family name, at least. That That <laughs> is good. great. John's here to help us with the European Union update. Let me start with this, John. A former European leader is urging the European Union to reject the Donald Trump peace plan for the Middle East, the resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, if indeed as we are hearing through leaked news, mostly from the White House, that the plan does not include a Palestinian state. So Europe taking a stand on the Middle East activities. Yes, that's right. Uh, According as things are looking, the uh, Trump plan for the peace process appears, according to some statements interpreted by U.S. Secretary of State Pompeo, does not seem to indicate there's a Palestinian statehood included. So this has set off all the bells and whistles in Europe. Of course, they have only looked for two-state solution. And, Jimmy, actually it was a letter written by 37 uh, high-ranking ex-EU officials to today's European Union, sort of uh, reaffirming their commitment to what they call two-state solution for Israel and Palestinians. So this letter by 37 uh, officials includes former prime ministers and foreign ministers, and the the little twist on this is that with Prime Minister Netanyahu's re-election and a promise to, in a sense, annex some of the West Bank settlements, which is means to be under the Israeli law, this is what there's been a great objection to. And even the European Union uh, foreign policy chief, uh, Mogherini, they've come out very strong, not only this letter, but the, the typical, usual EU stand. And she's come out saying, if there's not going to be a two-state solution, it's not going to be a solution and the two-state solution is being dismantled piece by piece. Wow. European Union former leaders and present leaders as well are acting on what they're hearing coming out of the White House. Let me ask you about this, John. Some of these same European Union leaders are looking beyond Brexit to Europe's future. What do they see in the future? This is such a chess game that's happening, Jimmy. It's really it's amazing to watch and to monitor. So now the fact that Brexit has been delayed, we went from March 29 to April 2nd. Now we have as late as October 31st. So European Commission President Juncker, he he wants to get back to what I would call just business as usual. And so looking to the future, it's more back to the the core of European Union federalism. But uh, this is not going to happen easily. 
Well, and in fact, I understand that Brexit is, that chaos surrounding it is really having a, a tough shot taken at the European parliamentary elections, which are coming up real soon. Yeah, absolutely. This is probably the biggest uh, event in terms of the focus of the European Union. You know, up to a third of the European Parliament is what we would say are Euroskeptic. They want to uh, radically reform the European Union or completely be out of the European Union. Now, with the, with the fact that the U.K. could participate in the European Parliament elections, which are here at the end of May, it, the entire system is entirely skewed. And then there's a big discussion of how many members will be in the European Parliament, because 73 members are British, but, and today's European Parliament is 751 members. But when they leave, it was to go to 705 and then split up other extra seats. But now it's very strong chance that they won't leave. They will participate. It will put much more anti-EU sentiment into the parliament. And there could be as many as 778 seats. And really, with just some weeks, no one even knows how many seats are supposed to be in the European Parliament. <laughs> it's a, it is an upheaval. And it's, it's very difficult to see how, after these elections, the EU can consist and propagate in the form that it is today. Yeah, well, that's why we have you, John. You're paid the big bucks to be able to stay on top of all this stuff. <laughs> um, Tongue-in-cheek, I say that, of course. But right. Thank you for trying to make some sense out of it and report it to us each week. By the way, congratulations again on that grandson. You and the family have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Right now, we're going to bring in another broadcast partner. We talk with him along the way. We normally focus on the Catholic Church, Catholicism, and the evangelization effort to win people to Jesus Christ when we come together with Mike Gendron. Mike has an organization of getting the gospel out to the world. Actually, what is your website, Mike? Proclaimingthegospel.org proclaimingthegospel.org. It's very interesting. If you call Mike and he's not there, somebody will answer and say, hey, we're out witnessing. You ought to be doing the same. I think that's a that's a great, great message to have on the, your phone when you're not available to answer it. Mike, Amen. I want to look at this situation. It's been major in the news. Every single news outlet that I know about has covered it. And that's the fire that has destroyed much of Notre Dame, uh, that very famous and historic church there in Paris. Now, I want to carefully look at this because we don't want to be an offense to anybody. uh, But indeed, we are a truth-telling organization that uh, we want to bring forth the truth here at Prophecy Today. We'll get to that in a moment. But it was a very historic church dating back centuries ago, was it not the case? Yes, that's correct. They spent 200 years actually building it, and uh, it's been around now for 850 years, and it's really a national monument to the people of France. So in that sense, it was truly a tragedy for the people of France. I've actually been there, Jimmy. I don't know if you've been in it, but it is awe-inspiring to see this massive monument. 
But uh, the theology there is definitely aberrant. It's uh, going against the very Word of God, and, and that's what troubles me the most. I think there's a greater tragedy that's taking place there. Yes, that's exactly where I wanted to go, Mike. Uh, the church does not, does not present the truth of the gospel. And explain that to our listeners. I don't want to attack, but just explain it in your loving way as you go out to communicate Christ to Catholics across the nation and around the world, in fact. Well, sure, Jimmy. Most people that have studied Roman Catholicism know that it does trace its roots back to the one true church founded by Christ. But over the centuries, it has drifted away from the faith of the apostles into an apostate form of Christianity. They've departed from submitting to the supreme authority of God's Word, and they often follow pagan traditions. And I think Notre Dame in Paris is an example of this, because when you look at its theology that comes out of that cathedral, Most people are not aware that as you enter into the Notre Dame Cathedral, there is a portal of last judgment. The angel Michael is using scales to evaluate the life people lived on earth. If enough good works were done, the scales tip and they go to paradise. If the scales do not tip, they go to hell. And so this portal of the last judgment is in harmony with the fatal works-based gospel of Roman Catholicism. Catholics are taught that their eternal destiny is based on what they do rather than what Christ has done. And so Rome even goes so far as to condemn any Bible-believing Christian who believes that we are saved by faith alone and Christ alone, and that's from the anathema at the Council of Trent. Scripture affirms what Rome condemns, for we are justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. And so, Jimmy, it's for this reason that I am heartbroken for the many Catholics that have believed this works righteousness gospel. It doesn't save anybody. It actually sends them to hell, because only those who trust in Christ alone will make it to paradise. Mike, you were there. You saw the artifacts. They say, supposedly, for example, that they had the crown of thorns that were shoved into the flesh and the head of Jesus Christ at the time of his crucifixion. But I can't believe that's real. Is this real news or fake news that we've been looking at over the centuries? Yeah, Jimmy, it's a good question. It actually represents fake relics. Uh, there are churches throughout the world that claim they have a piece of Christ crossed, such that there's enough wood to build Noah's Ark. It's just... Uh, <laughs> crazy that Catholics would actually put their faith in these relics, even to the point that the Catholic Church says they have part of the crown of thorns that Christ wore. But again, churches throughout the world also make that same claim. And so we need to point Roman Catholics not to the fake relics of Jesus Christ, but to his inspired word that will bring forth life to those who believe it. And that's by real concern for Catholics. Don't put your faith in things that may or may not be true. We know the Word of God is the infallible source for truth on this earth. You, uh, when we were talking before we went on the air, mentioned to me what the name uh, Notre Dame really meant. Uh, Interpret that for us and, and tell us why that is another wrong part of 
a historic uh, understanding of the truth, to the way to get to God. Well, Notre Dame actually means Our Lady, and the cathedral was consecrated to the Virgin Mary when it was built. And Rome exalts Mary. It's, it's considered idolatry. It's called Mariolatry. Rome actually teaches that Mary is interceding for everyone. She's atoning for our sins. She's delivering souls from damnation. They actually attribute to Mary what should only be said of God. And so this is obviously a form of idolatry. When you go into the cathedral, there is a painting that shows Jesus handing Mary a scepter while an angel sets a crown on her head, suggesting that Mary is the queen of heaven, and from heaven she's carrying out her redemptive work. There's also stained glass windows that exalt Mary and continue the form of Mariolatry. There is a stained glass window that actually has a prayer to Mary, and it starts off, Gate of Righteousness, Seat of Wisdom, Cause of Our Joy, Mystic Rose, Tower of David, Ark of the Covenant, Gate from Heaven, Morning Star, and Salvation of the Sick. These are all titles that the Catholic Church has given to Mary. But I think it's best said by Pope Leo XIII. He said in an encyclical dated September 22, 1891, No man goes to the Father but by the Son, and no man goes to the Son except through his mother. And then you may be familiar of another doctor of the Church. He's actually been elevated to sainthood, Alphonsus Liguori. He wrote that Mary is the only hope of sinners, for by her help alone we can have remission of our sins. And so, Jimmy, as you can see, this diverts the full attention and glory and honor and trust and faith away from the Lord Jesus Christ and puts it centered on Mary. And this is why it's a tragedy that uh, most Roman Catholics look to Our Lady rather than to the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Mike, uh, I understand that this will be an opportunity now for us to communicate to the Catholic world, and in fact, all the Catholics around the world. We need to do that lovingly, though. And as an evangelist to those who are members of Catholicism, how would you suggest we could approach that conversation? Well, I would encourage Roman Catholics to look to the infallible Word of God as their source for truth. We need to test every man's teaching. We need to test every tradition of religion against the inspired, authoritative Word of God. We're told to test every spirit, and we do that by using the Word of God. But as many people look to the fire that engulfed Notre Dame, I think for the first time in 850 years, the cathedral actually cast light into darkness. Hmm. And it's my prayer for Catholics that God will open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in Christ. Those were the very words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, and that's what we need to encourage Roman Catholics to do. The light that engulfed the Roman Catholic Cathedral at Notre Dame should encourage Roman Catholics to look to the true light, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Mike, I have to admit that as I watched all this news coverage of this tragedy, historic tragedy, there in Paris, I thought about the book of Revelation chapter 17 and at the midway point of the seven-year tribulation period, how that false church in Rome, Italy will be destroyed. Just a thought, but uh, that is reality when we look to the future, isn't it? Well, it is, Jimmy, and I hope that you see also the comparison between St. Peter's in Rome and Notre Dame in Paris. Both of these cathedrals were built with the funds that were solicited from people to purchase indulgences for loved ones who had died and gone to a fictitious place called Purgatory. And so as St. Peter's was built with the ungodly simony of indulgences, so was Notre Dame. And so the blood of the saints is on the hands of those who trust in indulgences rather than trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Catholic friend, if you're listening to this broadcast, we lovingly wanted to present the truth, the other side of what is false religiosity which, uh, as Mike exhorted at the beginning, check what the truth says, what the Word of God has to say. Thank you, Mike, for doing it so carefully, so lovingly, sharing with us this report of the historic tragedy there at um, Notre Dame in Paris. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Blessings to you, Jimmy. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got David James standing by. We'll have our weekly conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into our last half hour. In a moment, I'll have a conversation with David James. You don't want to miss the conversation. Great insight as we talk about the resurrection, which took place 2,000 years ago, and it's so key for our lifestyle. The Christian walk every single day so dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, we'll get to that conversation in a moment. So glad you could come back and join us. We ask for 90 minutes. And if you stay here through this half hour, you'll have the 90 minutes of information that will help you to better understand the urgency of the moment and where we are in God's time. By the way, I'll be preaching all day Sunday, which is Resurrection Sunday, then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night at the Old Swanee Baptist Church, Buford, Georgia. If you're in that listening area, love to have you come and study the Word of God. We'll start at 10 a.m. in the morning, 11 a.m. the main morning service, and then at 5 in the afternoon on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 7 p.m. An hour before each of the evening broadcasts, we'll have Prophecy Q&A. Come and join us as we study the prophetic Word of God want to have you answer my poll question, if you will. Go to my website on the home page. Go down the left-hand column as you scroll down. You'll see where it says poll question. Here's the question, if you will answer it, please. Do you believe that the resurrection of Jesus, as he gave testimony of in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, is not only key to our salvation, but to the prophetic scenario that is found in the Bible for the future, as he foretold and then told John to write it down for us so that we could know the future today. 
And of course, he had that written down in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. Go to my poll question on my home page, left-hand column. Please respond to it if you will. While there at the website, check out our tours. Joshua Travel will let you know about the remaining tours we have for this year to go to the land of the Bible. We now bring to these microphones David James here at the broadcast table via electronics because, in essence, David is in the Ukraine. Wow, he is a way far away from the United States here on this weekend that is also Passover and, of course, Resurrection Sunday. David, we catch up with you there in the Eastern European nation of the Ukraine. Before we get into our topic for this week, I wanted you to take just a bit of a, a moment to update us on the present situation there in the Ukraine. We know that there's an election coming up. Well, right now, things continue to be tense in two or three of the eastern provinces. Those are Russian-speaking provinces here in Ukraine, and they are under heavy Russian influence, and a lot of people in that region want to be connected connected with Russia. So it's still a very much uh, a war zone. Uh, but where I'm at, I'm in the western one-third of the country, so uh, there's not a problem where I'm at. You mentioned the upcoming elections. Those will be tomorrow on Resurrection Sunday for us in the West. It's uh, Resurrection Sunday is actually celebrated two weeks later in the eastern countries, and it's kind of a circus as far as the election goes. Uh, there is the sitting president who is running uh, against literally a comedian. He's a well-known comedian here in the country, and people are so fed up with the corruption in the government that almost as a joke, they voted him in in early uh, elections to run head-to-head against the president, and the, the sentiment is that it's very likely that he will actually be voted in with no experience, no plan, no agenda, and he said nothing about how he's going to deal with Putin, how he's going to deal with the economy, how he's going to solve the corruption, but that's the chaotic situation that we have here right now. I've got to tell you, I cannot resist this line. We've got a bunch of comedians, not professional, but a bunch of comedians who are running for political office here in the United States and really around the world. Well, since Resurrection Sunday is so close at hand, I wanted to discuss just how important the resurrection is in history and why it's important for us as believers today. And then I want to think about why its significance is concerning future events as well. We find this out in Bible prophecy. So let's let's first talk about the importance of the resurrection in history. What are your thoughts on this and just how important is it? Well, as we've talked many times, I teach the course God's Plan Through the Ages, and I trace God's plan from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22, eternity past to eternity future. And the resurrection really is the pivotal event in history. Everything in history revolves around the the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for our sins, and the offer of forgiven sin and eternal life. And the resurrection is the pivotal event in history because if the resurrection had not occurred, then God's plan through the ages would have stopped 2,000 years ago. So it was pivotal, it was crucial 
to the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan through the ages as he goes about establishing his kingdom of righteousness, which we'll first see in the millennial kingdom and then in eternity future. So there couldn't be a more important event in all of history. As someone who actually teaches on apologetic issues around the world, how would you go about defending the idea that Jesus did, in fact, arise from the dead from a biblical, historical, and a logical perspective? That's a great question. Let's talk about the biblical evidence first. First of all, uh, in Psalm 22, King David predicted the method of execution of the Messiah 1,000 years before it happened and even 800 years before crucifixion had been invented by the Romans as one of their primary means of execution. So that is significant in and of itself. All four Gospel writers, the Apostle Paul and others, testify of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we think about Luke and the Gospel that he wrote, as well as the book of Acts, Luke was not only a medical doctor, but he was an historian, he was a researcher, and he put together his work based upon a lot of research that he did to confirm everything that he wrote. Jesus predicted his own resurrection. He said, you destroy this temple, meaning referring to his own body, and three days later I will raise it up. And that was considered blasphemy by the Jews of his day. Another thing is that the enemies of Christianity claimed that the body was stolen, and in fact in Matthew 28 we find that the Jewish leaders were paying people to say that that is what has happened, and yet the body was never produced. That would have destroyed the entire resurrection story and actually Christianity before it even got started. The Bible also tells us that as many as 500 saw him at once. We also have to explain Paul's conversion from a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and an enemy of Christians. Something has to explain that. From the historical perspective, Jesus was a real person. There are many sources outside the Bible who said he lived and was crucified. Josephus, Tacitus, even the Jewish, the Babylonian Talmud refers to this. Another thing is that no one survived Roman crucifixion, so Jesus really died. They didn't just think he died. Uh, And again, no one produced the missing body of Jesus. And there are fragments of the New Testament that go back to the first century, and we have over 5,000 manuscripts in existence from the first to the tenth century that testify to the truth of what we have as the Bible. And then just logically, after Jesus was crucified, they took him down from the cross. The disciples were afraid. They were scattered. Peter, during the trials, even relied about knowing him before the resurrection. And then when they knew that he had been resurrected from the dead, they took on a boldness and preached and were willing to even die. If the disciples stole the body, then why would they and others like Stephen die for something they knew to be a lie? So there are many, many reasons, and including women as eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. They were Mm. not considered to be reliable witnesses, so they are not someone that you would use unless something like that really happened. You know, you were mentioning in Matthew chapter 28 those who lied uh, that the body had been stolen. It's interesting. I have noticed that in that passage those were Roman soldiers, and had they, because they went to sleep or something, allowed that body to be stolen, they would have been burned in oil. So, I mean, it's ridiculous when you stop to think about the true facts. It's absolute. 
Tell me what would you say, David? It would be a few of the ways that our everyday lives as believers are or should be impacted by the fact of the resurrection of Jesus. Well, first of all, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of the problems in the Corinthian church, and they had many problems, when you get to chapter 15, we find that they were even doubting the resurrection. And Paul says that if the resurrection did not occur, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we above all people should be pitied. Another thing is this, that we find that in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the resurrection is at the heart of the gospel. And when we preach the gospel, we include not only the death of Jesus Christ for our sins, which uh, provides the basis for the forgiveness of sin, but his resurrection from the dead that gives us the sure hope of eternal life to all who believe. Uh, Yesterday in chapel here at the Bible Institute, I preached on Philippians chapter 4, and Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. And then Paul goes through a number of things about living the Christian life, going through difficult situations, and Paul was chained to a Roman guard when he wrote this, and he says in the next couple of verses, that we know that the Lord is at hand, and so we live the Christian life in the anticipation of the moment when we hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first, as Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So we live our lives in light of the resurrection. It helps us to have a good testimony. It helps us to live holy lives. It helps us to be bold in our witness. It helps us to have confidence that what we believe is actually true. So there couldn't be anything more in our lives as believers than the fact of the resurrection, living in light of that, and also if he is alive, we also know that he is returning as well. Well, that's a great segue for my final question for you, David. Uh, Let's turn our attention just a moment for what is ahead on God's prophetic calendar. What are some of the things that, in your opinion, after so many years of study, think that we need to keep in mind concerning the resurrection of Christ as it relates to the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. First of all, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives and he ascended into heaven and there were two men in white and they spoke to the disciples who were watching Jesus being taken up into the heavens, and they said, this same Jesus that you see uh, going up will return in like manner. So the resurrection gives us the sure hope not only of his ascension into heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father presently, we also know that it gives us the the sure hope, the blessed hope of the rapture of the Church that I referred to in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Also, John, in, when he wrote the book of Revelation, God gave him visions. He saw the risen Savior in glory in chapter 1. We see that Jesus, the risen Savior, breaks the seven seals that unleashes the judgments, the uh, series of judgments in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 19, we see Jesus Christ returning with the Bride of Christ, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, and we know that they will look on the one whom they pierced and who, ha- who arose from the grave. And according to Zechariah 13, one-third of Israel will be saved. Jesus will rule from the throne of David, fulfilling the covenants of the Old Testament. 
He judges all of the unbelievers from all time in the great white throne judgment, because all judgments committed to the Son. And just as he created the, uh, the first creation, he will be the creator of the new creation, the new heavens and new earth. Again, Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus himself says, I am he that was alive and dead and now stand before you alive. That's verse 18. Verse 19, now, John, write down those things which were, which are, and which shall come to pass in the future. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, key to our salvation and everything else that David has been talking about, but key in Bible prophecy as well. David, Thank you so very much, and uh, be safe as you travel, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week with another issue. Great. Looking forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks so much. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to open up the Bible. We'll take a look at the book in light of what my broadcast partners had to say about current events. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today, my broadcast partners came to the broadcast table to report on current events around our world that seem to be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. All these reports from my broadcast partners can be heard right here at our website, prophecytoday.com. When you arrive at the website, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, 
There we have archived and saved each of these reports. If you missed any of them or you would like to hear them again, or if you tell a friend, they can come to that same location and be able to hear these very important key reports as we look at how current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. In just a moment, here on Look at the Book, we want to focus on the Passover and Resurrection Sunday. But first, let me just mention several items from the reports from my broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman, just back from the state of Georgia on the Russian border, spoke of how the president of Iran, Rouhani, has called for the righteous Muslims to rise up and destroy Zionism. That's just another way of saying we want to wipe out the Jewish state of Israel. Zionism is talking about the Jews coming back to the land, the original land of their forefathers, which God gave them, and then rebuilding a state and establishing it so Bible prophecy can actually be fulfilled. David Dolan, who is the man covering the Middle East for us, we talked about the Trump peace plan to endeavor to try to bring a resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And some leaks out of the White House seem to indicate Trump's plan does not call for a Palestinian state. Well, David elaborated on why that is going to be a very difficult plan to pass. In fact, many are calling the plan already dead before it is even revealed to the rest of the world. John Rood covers the European Union. He's a man who has lived in Brussels, Belgium for over 30 years, knows the lay of the land. He talked about what the European Union leadership is saying. They reject any peace plan that Trump may offer that does not include a Palestinian state, and at the same time they reject the Israeli government annexing Judea and Samaria and taking sovereignty over that location as well. Now those are three reports. There are six reports altogether at my website that you can listen to, but those three emphasizing how the Iranians want to destroy the Jewish state of Israel how the peace plan from President Trump does not include a Palestinian state, and how the European Union is rejecting that plan without a Palestinian state. Those are issues, all a part of the end-time scenario that can be found in Bible prophecy. But let me now focus on a couple of issues that are key for you and me as we first of all come to salvation and then make preparations for the future that God has planned for us. I'm going to focus on Passover, which is a Jewish high holy day, and Resurrection Sunday, the key day in the life of Jesus Christ and his authenticity when he tells us that he can give us salvation, but also tells us about the future. God does have a plan. He started to reveal that plan to the Jewish people in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. When you read Leviticus 23, you find that God gave the Jewish people seven Jewish feasts. And these feasts were annually to be observed by the Jewish people. Now, in these feasts, God gives us a prophecy. In fact, all of the feasts are focused on the person Jesus Christ. He was to fulfill each and all of the feasts. 
There are seven feasts, Passover, celebrating the exodus out of Egypt by the Jewish people, unleavened bread, the separation between bondage and freedom, first fruits, and when the Jews come into the land, presenting the first fruits of their harvest at the temple, Pentecost, which is the presentation of the wheat harvest, and when you look at trumpets, it's talking about celebration creation, the Day of Atonement, the time of giving the Jewish people one more year under the blood that is sacrificed on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Covering, so that they can extend their time under the leadership of God the Father. And finally, tabernacles, a celebration of how the Jewish people wandered in the wilderness. Now, what was God's procedure? He had a plan. He said in place prophecy, what was his procedure? When you study the Word of God, especially the book of Matthew, chapters 26 to 27, you'll see that after the Passover Seder, which would take place on Passover and the beginning of the day for the Jewish people in the evening, and then Passover the next day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is separation. It means it was separating Jesus Christ from life unto death. And the fact is, he was in the grave, as the Bible called for, three days and three nights. That has to mean that he was crucified on Thursday afternoon, resurrected before sunup on Sunday night, because remember, a Jewish day, the night and the day. So Sunday night before sunup, as John says in his book, when the three Marys went there to the gravesite and were told that he had already resurrected. By the way, that was first fruits, and that was a part of that Jewish set of feasts that would prophesy the person of Jesus Christ, crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, resurrected on first fruits. Now, this time we're not going to be able to talk about the three fall feasts. Jesus Christ will fulfill those as well. He'll come back to the earth on the Feast of Trumpets. He will enter into the temple on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then the kingdom begins on tabernacles. So he fulfills all seven of the Jewish feasts. By the way, even before he returns to the earth, the next event will be Jesus calling all of us who know him as Lord and Savior to be with him in the heavenlies. That's called the rapture of the church, and that happens before the second coming, seven years before, which, in fact, when we think about what we've talked about today, that rapture actually could happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.